Howdy, everyone. Arthur Staple here. Welcome back to the Garden Faithful, your Rangers podcast from The Athletic. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Steve Valiquette. Steve, what's going on? Um, I'm really full. I've eaten my words for the last 48 hours. So uh, let's get started. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll bring Chris Vonnery, our producer, uh, on for the last segment. And last time we were talking about, will the Rangers sweep? Uh, and now we're talking about, can the Rangers rally back? I know it's not rally, but they've lost the last two. Not great games, either one of them at the Garden. Uh, one goal in each of them. Big turnaround from the first two in Newark. And Steve, uh, it are there a couple of things that pop into your head? You, we've had a few days to kind of think about it, um, about why this series turned from Rangers domination into what's a best of three nail biter now. It's so hard to understand. And it's so hard to put into context what you think you know, because you're not in the room, but what typically happens when you get ahead in anything, you start to, live in the future too much. Maybe they were thinking about their next opponent. Maybe they were waiting for one another to, uh, like, I'm, I don't know, Arthur. I really don't know. It's, it's bothered me for the last 48 hours because, you know, you're, you're looking at the table being set and you're ready to eat and there's a clear path to the Eastern Conference Final. And, and I'm saying that because Carolina's banged up. And the reason why you're at this point in the season is because after 82 games – you know, you have that spirit of a good team and and you have a killer instinct and you think you have the experience and you should win. And now you've put yourself at risk because you've got to play more games at risk of losing, at risk of getting injured, you know, and at risk of wearing yourself out. You could have finished it off and the Rangers have them in game three in a position to end what would be any hopeful comeback when you get up three nothing in hockey, as we know how it goes? So, no, I mean I'm g- grabbing at straws just like everybody else. It's it's uh, it's it's been a very humbling couple of days for me too because I thought they had things taken care of. And really, game three, they were still okay in game three. It wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't game four. That's for sure. Game four, maybe that was the the after if you know the, the hangover effect of like you said, you had a chance. It's you know, it's a coin flip in overtime. It's kind of a broken play that Hamilton scores the winner on. Um, didn't play bad, didn't play well enough, but kind of not still right there. And then <clears throat> maybe that's that's still hanging out there when they get on the ice for Game Four. And that was even though it was one one in the third period, the Rangers didn't accomplish a whole lot. Um, they didn't really generate anything. Power play was bad. Five on five was worse. Uh, hey Arthur, spe- can I read you a couple of my comments on Twitter? <laughs> Seriously, like these Please guys. <laughs> I mean, I just feel like Ranger fans are angry right now because when you outscore your opponent in the first two games in their barn ten two, and you come home and not, I mean, okay, what you don't lay an egg in, in game three, but you certainly do in game four. I think people are really pissed off. One of the one of the folks that. Uh, replied to my scoring chances report on Twitter, said it's unfathomable to me that a team as loaded and as skilled as the Rangers are can put up such a feckless, gutless performance as they did last oh. night. It's Whoa. game like those that cost people their jobs. Right? <laughs> yeah. How about this one? Another guy says, and this is where people get really pissed, I feel like, because they thought they saw the players not giving a 100% effort. 
The rest of us average people have to go to work every day and get paid far less to do our jobs. If we showed up to work and just declined not to do anything, we would get fired. However, these guys make millions of dollars to play ice hockey and can't show up. Like, I I just felt like I've never seen hate like this. It was vitriol. (laughs) Have you never looked at Twitter before, Steve? Is that the problem? (laughs) No, no I, well, at least not in my mentions for scoring chances. I yeah, know they they want to. Everybody gets a little bit more vocal when they're angry than when they're happy. That's for sure. In terms of fan, oh my learned goodness, in my many years on starting to affect my mood. <laughs> um, well, let's let's just look at a couple areas real quick. Uh, Gerard Gallant didn't mince any words after Game Four. He had, he flopped Vincent Trocheck and Mika Zibanejad. He pointed the finger at the top six. Um, I think everybody who was watching the game could easily point the finger at the top six. Really, the you know the Philip Hita line was the only one that really generated any consistent forecheck or zone time. Um, a few of their other high end guys, Adam Fox, had a really str- big struggle in that game. I thought um, the the Keandre Miller Jacob Truba pair wasn't very good. So we've seen them kind of bumble some games around, especially after getting Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko, where they were trying to figure out how they fit. How do you bounce back at such an important time of the year after a no-show game like that if you're the Rangers high-end guys? They certainly have enough experience. The guys that have just been Rangers got it last year. They have Kane. They have Tarasenko. Four cups between them. The experience factor means that they've been through every possible playoff scenario you could think of. So where do they get it back? Where do they get Where do they get their mojo back, and where do they start to tamp down jerseys Jersey contesting every puck, winning every battle, not just showing quickness up the ice in transition, but quickness on the forecheck and quickness to to close gaps. They were so much quicker than they looked in the first two games. So how do the Rangers start to tilt it back in their favor tomorrow night in game five? I think what needs to happen is the matchup before the series was Zabanajad versus Hughes up front. That's the one that we circled, at least at the network, for the pregame show, game one. This is the matchup. And and Mika, we talked last year about Mika having a slow start to the playoffs, but I went back and looked at his first four games last season, and he had 10 scoring chances where he got inside. He had five east-to-west plays. He was just a little snake-bitten in the first four games of that series against the Penguins, and he had his hands full with Crosby's line. Mm. But... You look at where he's at right now. He has four scoring chances in four games where he's gotten inside, and that's all situations. And keep in mind, you've had 18 power plays. So he's got two high-danger chances. And if you look at that and compare that to Hughes, if if we're going to call it a head-to-head for one very important player per team, Jack Hughes, he's had seven chances in the dead slot. He's had four breakaways, which you could also qualify as slot chances because he gets in all alone with the goalie. So we'll call it 11 and seven high danger chances. He's got four breakaways, two goals. Like he's really killing it right now for the devils. And Mika, Mika, if I'm Mika right now and I'm healthy and I'm, and I certainly hope he's healthy. I would put a lot of responsibility on game five on me and We've covered Mika a long time. I feel like anytime his back gets up against the wall, he always has a punch. He's 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 been a fighter, he's been a warrior for this organization since since he got here. And I expect him to be a key player tomorrow night in Newark. He's gotta be 
himself. He's got to come out and lead because there was one comment that he said in the presser, Arthur, which was, I think we're all kind of sitting around waiting for one of the other guys to do it. Right. And sometimes you get there as an athlete. I know that feeling. You're on the team and you're like, all right, you look around the room. You got Kane, you got Tarasenko, you got Kreider, you got Trocek. Maybe one of those guys will do it. I'm not feeling it tonight. You know, like, forget that. You know, he's got to take it over now himself. Kind of to that end, the power play, you know, when Kreider scores his fourth deflection slot line pass goal, uh, on the power play in the midway through game two uh, in the second period. And they're four for seven. I think at that point you're thinking, well, there's nothing to fix about this power play. <laughs> they're obviously right, right. getting inside. They're doing what they want to do. And now we're staring at it. Uh, oh, for their last 11, certainly getting tons of power plays, 18 power plays in four games for that power play. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely gotten stale. And I think, you know, today at practice, Mika Zibanejad was back on the flank in his one timer spot. Artemi Panarin and Patrick Kane were swapping spots on off the other flank with one of them in the bumper. Mika in the bumper. He had a couple good chances at the beginning of game three on that early power play against Akira Schmid. And that, you know, if he scores on one of those two shots from the slot, probably talking about a different thing. We might even be talking about yeah. waiting, waiting on the next opponent. That could have been the end of it right there. So it's not, it's not like it's completely bereft. But since then, and it kind of went hand in hand with how bad they were five on five in game four. Power play looked very stale. They weren't moving around. They weren't trying to adjust. It was just let's get it across and you know getting it to Panarin for the one timer instead of Zabanajad for that one timer is just not as lethal. You know, Bread has an amazing game, but I don't think cranking out high high velocity one timers is really his game. So it seems like uh, Gerard Gallant and Mike Kelly are heating the constant advice of people on Twitter and people in the comments on my stories and saying, put Mika back where he got his 20 power play goals and see what he can do. So um, I would imagine that's one, that was one obvious change for the power play. Was there anything else that you thought they could tweak after the way that it kind of went from great to non-existent? I know it's, it's, I'm with you with, with what you said off the top there, which was game number three, the first power play of the first period, they had six significant looks on that power play, and one of which was a one-timer dead slot from Mika. And if that thing goes in, we're talking about a totally different game. We're talking about a totally different outcome. And then you fast forward, and it it almost gets to a point where you can't even get over the blue line. You can't get set up. And I remember looking at this before the series where at five-on-four during the regular season, the Rangers had 40 goals from their setup. So they were very successful when they got set up in the zone. They had seven off the rush during the regular season at five on four. So when you're trying to get over the offensive blue line in a game, you're doing it with the intentions to get set up, not to always challenge them off the rush because that could be a one and done. If it's there, you take it. If you remember near the end of the regular season, they had one against Buffalo. But if it's there, you take it. So you want to be a threat, but you're ultimately just trying to get set up. And for whatever reason, it was like the pressure the Devils were putting on on the penalty kill. The Rangers just couldn't get set up. It was everybody got tight, right? And it was like everybody's yeah. mental was affecting their physical. And it just didn't look like the group that we had watched when they were zipping it around. I'm like, oh, my God, pick your poison. This is the most nasty power play I've ever seen to the point where you know, I'm like, geez, I mean, can you even get set up? You know, and <laughs> so that's where I think, no, look, man, they're – 
they're probably, you know, a little concerned too themselves. I mean, we're worried and concerned. We have no impact on what happens out on the ice, but I'm sure that they're concerned and uh, they're trying to take a step back and reload at this point. But getting Mika back into his one-timer position, it opens up different looks, but it doesn't change anything for me. He's still got to get in the zone. He's still got to get set up. So that's step one before you're even too focused on what our looks are going to be once we get into the setup. They got to get set up again. Yeah. And obviously for the Devils, um, the biggest change they made was going to Akira Schmid, who's a goalie that unless you're paying very close attention to the league, not a lot of people know about. He's a big kid. And uh, I was talking to Mika between games three and four, and I, you know, commiserating over the fact that I didn't really test him a whole lot. And he said, you know, sometimes with a bigger goalie, it looks like, you know, if he stays steady, it just looks like you're hitting him. You know, no matter what you're doing, you just hit him. And so, he, you know, those two shots that he had, he didn't really, they didn't really make him move a whole lot. And they're coming from a goalie in Vanacek, who you pointed out before the series is a guy who's a battler and moves around a lot. And it was, it was killing him in those first two games. There was nothing he could do against yeah. the Rangers. His team wasn't playing well either, but he's not the kind of guy to kind of settle things down. And Schmidt looks very calm and the Rangers... To the devil's credit, the devils were doing were responsible for a lot of it. They just weren't getting inside on him. They weren't making a move. They weren't. He was leaving some rebounds. There was nobody there for them. Um, so you know that change obviously sparked something in the devils as a team. It wasn't this kid is Patrick Roy and he's now flopping all over the place and making fifty saves a game. But um, does that? Do you feel like that can get in your head when you have a new goalie in there, no matter what his experience level is, and you can't really beat him for any number of reasons? And he gets confidence, and you lose confidence. Is that is that something that might, might be in the Rangers' heads a little bit? Well, I think okay. So the Rangers haven't been able to get chances, so that's one thing. It's very difficult to score when you're not getting inside and you're not getting great chances. Uh, Akira Schmidt has had um, eleven high danger chances faced in the two games that he played. He's only faced two east to west plays: the one that we talked about, Mika's one timer on the power play in game number three. And the other was on the power play, Artemi Panera, and he had a nice one, but it was, you know, it was from distance, and he came down on and really tracked well at his hip and made a save there. So he has two east to west chances face. He's a big guy. He's not a massive um, mover. He's a quiet mover. He is explosive, but he's not, you know, he's not on the same terms as what I would you know, refer to as one of the top guys in the league east to west. So I think they have to try him east to west. Bigger guys create bigger holes. The Rangers have had one behind the net to the slot one-timer, Panarin. The Rangers were the second best regular season team at east to west. Right? They had, um, what is it, 227 chances east to west. They've had only nine in the four games against the Devils. I, I'm a little concerned that um, they're not creating because the Devils are stifling. And if they're not going to create, it's going to get harder and harder to score on this kid because he's big, he's quiet, he doesn't move much, he's not creating holes for himself. But I think the Rangers right now, they have to they have to test inside. They have to get inside and they have to show deception again off of their initial shot and move the puck. I think that, I mean, we'll wait and see. I mean, Kreider did beat him once high over the blocker side on a straight-on shot on the two-on-one, but there hasn't been much, fellas. I mean, you can talk all, the, all you want about how you're going to beat a goalie, but you've got to beat the layer of defense before you get to the goaltender as big and as quiet as it's been. Yeah. One thing that I saw that was 
<clears throat> that I kind of took notice of in game four mostly was uh, right off the hop, Lindy Ruff was just kind of rolling a few forwards. There was not a lot of cohesion. It wasn't, you know, line after line. You could see Jack Hughes out there with with Brat and Heeshear at times. He was out there with Halla and Palat. Um, I thought that was really interesting that they just, they, he knows that Hughes is the guy that the engine that makes them go. And he kind of just rotated him around to let him get some looks maybe against Mikola and Schneider a little bit. You know, it's not, it's not uncommon to see road coaches do that to try to get their best players away from the, the deep pair matchups that you don't want to see. But it sort of felt like he was just letting Hughes kind of touch the ice as much as he needed to. And yeah. uh, he's obviously a very unique, creative player. And maybe you don't have the guys with the Rangers that do that, but, but it's an interesting wrinkle. And I think you see the way that Lindy Ruff is a guy who's been around a long time coaching this series, making the moves. He benched Siegenthaler for game two. We both thought that was a desperation panic move. And look, this guy was one of the best players on the ice in game four. So yep. he obviously knows his players very well. I'm interested to kind of see, when you look at the Rangers lineup and you say, you know, you want Mika out there, he's going to be on the road. You want him to, to clamp down on that matchup and do as much as he can do. Is there anything else that kind of like that sort of coaching, whether it's play stuff that's unique to just playoff series where you're playing maybe a little bit of a mind game, but still also, you know, trying to just throw a wrinkle in your lineup. The Rangers are not really a wrinkle throwing type team. Galan is not that kind of coach. Um, no, no, I don't think you're going to see that. No, is there something that you would do? Well, one thing I would have done in game three when they had the power play was six minutes to go. I certainly would have called a timeout and had my first unit come back out again. Mm-hmm. That's one thing right off the bat. I, I didn't like that move because, I mean, look at how critical of a moment that was, and it was over. As soon as the second unit came out, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, well, we're going overtime. <laughs> um, defensively, on, on the plus side for the Rangers in game four, they only gave – the New Jersey Devils, seven scoring chances off the rush. It just so happened the Devils scored on two because both yeah. Hughes and Siegenthaler's goals were off the rush. But their transition rush game was pretty much shut down. There was only two chances for the Devs in uh, game four. I mean, that's coming off of game three where the Devils had 16 scoring chances, including Dougie Hamilton's OT winning goal with the weirdest celebration I've ever seen. Did you see how he <laughs> left the pile? And like, what, have you, did you watch that long version? Of his I, celebration, I did. In OT. I did, and guess guess who else was watching it? Every guy on the Rangers bench was watching it. So I'm sure if the Rangers get an OT winner at some point in these last oh three games, God. there's going to be like, some what comments. Was that that was just bizarre. But um, Zabanajad's line, they have been limiting the Devils the entire series. They've had a very good defensive series. Um, I have them on the ice together when it's Mika Kane Kreider only allowing 11 chances, but only one high danger chance when they're on the ice. So they've done a good job. Like we talked earlier, uh, certainly before the series began, how the top two lines would probably saw off and cancel each other out. Well, that's with the exception of Hughes if he's roving through the lineup. Right, because right, right. he ended up, when he scored his goal in game four, the kids were on the ice. Yeah, And you, you play yourself through that scenario. Think about the emotion of Heedle, Lafreniere, and Kako. Heedle makes a great play at the defensive blue line. They go down the ice, two on one. Kako shoots. Kako shooting lifetime 0 for 9 when he's a puck carrier on two on ones. He shoots it, but he he has to shoot it because it's a sliding defenseman. He has to shoot it. I get it. So he shoots it, and then they get the puck back to the point. Lafreniere gets basically like a short slot line, and it goes through 
Kira Schmidt's legs. And then you're like, oh my God, we're going to score. And it's an airmail from Siegenthaler to Hughes. And you're like, you got to know when this guy's on the ice. Even you just had, they just had basically two and almost three grade A's off of one sequence at the net. The Rangers did. And then it ends up back in your net at the other side. And the only thing I thought on that one too was, how can you not like hound the puck and want to attack the net when you're that tight to scoring if you're that line? And I know you're hopefully relying on your D being back, but I thought Fox waved at that puck and he should have had a more defensive posture to get back and not, you know, force offense to keep going in the direction that it was. You got to play this guy honest, man. He had 15 breakaway goals this year and he's got two in the series. He's got two of their goals on breakaways in the series. You have to know when Hughes is on the ice at all times. And I'd imagine they're going to continue to move him through the lineup just to get him away from Zibanejad's matchup. Yeah, and it's, you know, we were all one-way traffic the other way when we recorded last week after the first two games, and now here we are, you know, saying fans are mad, we're feeling Dude, a little Dude, I'm questioning everything right now. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're essentially two, they're two one-goal games that they lost, and right. they gave up four, you know, and Igor gave up four total goals, and maybe one of those was a bad one, that maybe the Siegenthaler one, he didn't quite... He kind of lost his his angle there on the on the slot line play, but it's still a tough play. I got a lot of heat on that on Twitter. Um, scoring chances report. I responded today, and this is the fact. This is the way it works, right? Like I don't think people understand that scoring chances. If all of the goalies in the NHL are stopping a specific shot type very consistently at a high rate, then it's a low danger chance. But if it's going in at twenty percent or more. It is a high danger chance. Just That's just the simple math of it. I want to share this with you. I don't know if you saw it or not when I posted it earlier this afternoon. But this season, that pass to that location off the rush, there were 921 chances on that high east to west for 191 goals. And it went into the back of the net 20.7% of the time. It's high danger. However, when we are looking at and really – critical eye on every single goal because every goal matters so much in the playoffs. Henrik and I are at the panel and we're looking at each other and we're saying, oh, it kind of goes through. And and what Benoit Allaire would want there is a stop. He would want Igor not to reset and try and gain more depth, try to get more ice to challenge. On that specific seam, he would want him to stop, plant his feet, set his head, He's plenty big where he would have been in his first setup. He didn't have to attack and try and take more ice. And then the puck goes through his uh, arm body just above the pad under the glove, you know. But, you know, that's uh, that's the game because that goal was scored just six minutes and 20 seconds after Trocek tied it. Yeah. So that's a back-breaking goal. Yep, and here we are 2-2. So we'll bring in uh... – Chris Flannery, Chris, who uh, was at game four, and uh, when I saw him after the second period, correctly predicted that the Rangers were going to lose, but maybe that's just a fan. <laughs> in <him. laughs> oh, great. Nice, he might have been, been throwing a comment under your uh, scoring chances report, too. That might have been Did a burner account. What's was, up, Chris? That, <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, vocabulary? guys? Is that feckless? I had to look that word up. Is that your vocabulary, Chris? <laughs> yeah, that's like a that's like a that's a politics word, feckless, right? You always say that about uh, the mayor or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, before we uh, we get into it, I just wanted to uh, say I was at uh, Game Four. Obviously, it was nice to to hang out with Arthur for a little bit. Also, uh, in the seat I'm sitting next to, uh, halfway through the game, 
guy sitting next to me turns. He says, hey, uh, do you work with uh, Arthur and Steve on the podcast? And I said, yeah. He goes, oh, I recognized your voice. Uh, I listen to the, the podcast every week. So I wanted to shout out Lou. That's What's incredible. up, Lou? incredible. All right, That's Lou. I, I love the idea that it's just like where Lou just turns and says like, do you work with like like we're all work at the the milk bottling plant? Yeah. Do do you work with Arthur and Steve? Like we here did. we, we are the Ranger story. Yeah, that's recognize right. we work, we work uh, recognizing your voice. That's that's next level though. That's great. It's I don't know. Cool, if, right? I, I don't know if I would recognize your voice if I did. Well, I was just sitting next to you <laughs> randomly. So that's yeah. impressive. Uh, Good Lou, 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 thank you for listening. You are our most dedicated listener right now. I appreciate. That's it. right. Thank you, Lou. All right. So we had the our little. Three-person roundtable last week where we were talking, are they going to sweep? We all stupidly said yes, so let's all beat ourselves up for a few minutes here. Uh, And now it's 2-2. Game five is tomorrow. Game six is uh, Saturday night. And let me ask you this. We'll we'll make it two questions, Chris. Will there be a game seven? And will the Rangers still advance out of this series? You first. Let me say this. This series is, you know, it's 2-2. You know, it feels bad because they were up 2 nothing. They looked so good in New Jersey. They they played their game to a T, and then they lose both at home. Obviously, game four is a gross one to watch. It doesn't feel like they, they showed up in that one. But it's 2-2. You know, if it was the other way around, which, you know, we've seen happen before where they go down 2 and you feel like the series is over, they come back, it's 2-2, you'd feel great about it. So you got to kind of play that mind game, I think, with yourself a little bit. And if you're the Rangers, you got you got to do that a bit, too. They got the two games off between uh, games four and five, which I think is nice. They can regroup, practice a little bit. It doesn't maybe it kills whatever momentum would have happened for the Devils in between. Obviously, the the rock is going to be, you know, it's going to be loud in there, uh, you know, when they hit the ice tomorrow night. But no, the series isn't over. I, I think um, I think the Rangers still win this series. We, we've been looking at the the numbers. It's not like the Devils dominated them uh, in, in, in game four. That was a game I think the Rangers gave away. You know, there wasn't a lot of, I don't know what you call yeah. it, passion. They lost the aggression. game. It's like yeah, the Devils didn't yeah. win. They lost the game. Yeah. Right. I right. agree. You know, so look, I mean, is it possible? <laughs> Having been a fan of this team for a long time, yeah, it probably goes to game seven. But I do think they could get it done in six. I think they just need to get back to what they were doing. And I think a little bit of it was they focused so much on not giving the Devils anything that – they kind of stunted their own offense. And then, and then when the devils did get something in game four, it kind of put them on their heels and they, they just couldn't get back to it. But, but I think this series is far from over. I think it's still a Rangers series to win, but obviously game five tomorrow night is a must win game. Yeah. All right. Hey, look, uh, well, I feel like this too. It's uh, you know, you get to do it over again, right guys. And that's happened a lot this year for the Rangers. It's, it's like when they were, at the beginning of the season, when the expectations were sky high, they took a step back and then they proved it again. And I feel like they're right back to that. You know, every time that they've had expectations like, you know, sweep, um, we're so far ahead, it's going to be easy. They have a hard time not dropping their guard. Like they've got to keep their guard up when they're up. Yeah. And um, for a team like the Devils that missed the playoffs, for five consecutive years, I believe it was, 49-point improvement this season over last greatest points improvement in the NHL since the NHL went to 82 games, I read. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this is a historically great season for the Devils. And sometimes when you get up against an opponent like this and the expectations were on them in games one and two and they didn't hold their end of the bargain, the Rangers stole, didn't steal those games, they owned those games, 
Now you're in a position where you're going into Madison Square Garden for three and four, and they're probably like, oh, we got nothing to lose. You know, like we've yeah. we've had a great season. We've got a lot to be proud of. Let's go out there and just see what happens. And now they're in a series. So does that pressure shift back to them now? And how do they manage that? And now there's expectations that they are going to take the series from their side. So look, boys, we said before the series began, it was going to be a coin flip. And none of us were really willing to commit to how many games the series was going to be, did we? I don't I don't remember, Arthur, you saying it. I didn't say it. I think I, said, I, did, I think I said Rangers in six. Yeah, I, I went six? with Rangers in six, but, you know, which still I think is is. I mean, you, I think you, I think you said Devils in five, so I. <laughs> <laughs> no, at first I said Rangers in three. That's right. And then, uh, no, but I, I mean it, all honesty, I never thought this was one that you could call. This wasn't out of all of the different series being played right now around the league. I thought this was one of the hardest calls, if not the hardest, and I still feel that way after four games. All right. I said Rangers in six before it started. I will stick with that. With the caveat that if the Devils win tomorrow night, I don't think that the Rangers can come back. I don't know that they have. They're just, they have too many parts, you know, like, we, like we've looked at them and we wanted to see the cohesive whole since they made their additions at the trade deadline. And there was a, some flashes up in the regular season and the first two games of the, this series were the ultimate. Um, So I still think they can win. And also they still have the best goalie in the series and i don't yeah they're think, arthur i don't know man their comeback ability over the last couple of years with yeah, this core has been great the core is great yeah i i just i'm still uh, uh, still in the, in the back of my mind thinking did 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 they overdo it a little bit with the, at the deadline is there too much was there too much resetting adding in two guys that command a lot of attention that have had the history that they've had in Kane and Tarasenko, just the same things that we talked about when they were still trying to figure it out at the end of the regular season. The stakes are obviously much higher now. Um, but yeah, you know, and I think the pressure too of, you know, the one fan that responded to you is like, the, you know, these kinds of situations, people lose their jobs over. Right, um, there's, a the Ranger, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on yeah. some people uh, in this organization heading, you know. A lot of pressure the- on Panarin too, right? I mean, I brought yeah. up Mika earlier, but. Panarin, he had three that he airmailed in game three. Yeah. Three. The breakaway, the backdoor. I'm like, oh, my God. Bread, hit the net. (laughs) Because, you know, like these guys are so skilled. Yeah. And um, I I was wondering about the ice. I'd heard the ice was bad. Did that play a role with Bread missing the net there in game three? The puck was rolling on that last one on the power play late in regulation. Mm -hmm. He missed that one high. But also he missed high on a breakaway early in the game when the ice was just fine. That's right. So I don't but know. What was, did you, did you get that from uh, being around the room and stuff that the ice was bad for those games? That's what I'd heard. No, I wasn't uh, sure if it was true. I don't know that it was any worse than it usually is, okay. but we'll see. I'm not going to say anything bad about my boy, Paul Curtis, who runs the. <laughs> no, just because the it had book. been covered so much. Not yeah. That it's yeah bad it's ice. it's, it's just, been, it's been, busy. it's been, yeah, it's been busy. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I still think they're going to win. And I think, uh, you know, we kind of came to this further than this precipice in the first round last year where if they get run off the ice by the Penguins in Game 5, Sidney Crosby doesn't get hurt. Right. A lot of things could have changed from right then, too. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I think uh, I think we're looking at a similar type situation. And uh, I still feel like even though I have that doubt in the back of my mind that I still feel like they can advance here and 
like we were saying, Carolina Islanders is not exactly a fearsome matchup with either of those teams. So this is this is the gateway to another very successful playoff run if they can get through this. So there's there's yeah. got to be some some digging deep for that. So. Yeah, man. I want the next time we get on the pod, I want to bring the energy again. I feel like I'm down <laughs> right now, boys. I'm down. I, th- I think well, yeah, I think you have the appropriate uh, tone for what's going on. The appropriate the last tone, yeah. yeah, for sure. Oh All my right. goodness. Well. We'll see if uh, if we're proven right or if we're a bunch of idiots again. We'll have to we'll have to wait a couple of games to find out. So man, they had me fooled though after those first two. They had me fooled. well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll they'll prop you up again. All right, yeah. thanks, Steve. Thanks, Chris. All right, guys. Yeah, thank see you, you fellas. And thanks everybody out there for listening. The Garden of Faithful. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a review if you're enjoying the show. That really helps us out. And right now, get a one year subscription to the Athletic for just one dollar a month. Visit theathletic.com slash TGF. More big playoff games to come. We'll catch you next week.